Welcome to the Encounter Community Church Podcast, where we take God's Word and look at how we can utilize, practically apply it, and implement it into our lives. Welcome back to another episode of the Encounter Community Church Podcast. My name is Ken Ballard Jr., and I am the pastor here at Encounter Community Church. Well, I hope that everyone is doing okay. I'm excited. Well, sort of. <laughs> Last week was the first weekend of football. The NFL is back, baby. And something really awesome happened on Sunday. My Buccaneers were on television. So I was able to watch them lose. <laughs> so it was a tough week for me in football. My Bucks lost and my fantasy football team lost. But the NFL is back. I'm excited about that. You know, it's really interesting. This time of the year, there's something that always happens in September. Uh, we just, we just, in our family, we just call it basically the birthday streak because my dad's birthday is on September 2nd. My son's birthday is on September 12th. So my son just turned 13. How exciting is that? Well, we'll see because hormones are starting to kick in. <laughs> so, so we'll see. We're really excited for him. We did our best to throw him a really great birthday, as much as you can, you know, during the times of COVID. But we had a lot of fun. My wife came up with a really great idea. So he was able to pick 13 things he wanted to do as a family to celebrate his birthday. So we played games. We watched movies. We had a pillow fight. We, we actually played glow-in-the-dark, hide-and-go-seek. So we, we had a lot of fun for his birthday, along with other things. But... His birthday is on September 12th. My mom's birthday is on September 17th. My birthday is on September 24th. So let me say that again. My birthday is on September the 24th. So I'm just saying gifts are welcomed. I'm just saying. (laughs) But my birthday is on September 24th. My mother-in-law's birthday is on September the 6th. My son's birthday is October the 3rd. So we just have a run in September and October of birthdays, and then boom, we're on break until April 23rd when my oldest daughter's birthday hits, and then we hit June 6th for my youngest daughter, and then July 7th for my wife. But right there, like in September, man, it is like birthday central. I don't know about you and your family and when your birthdays all fall into place, but we sing a lot of happy birthdays. And I was just thinking about this. You know, we were singing happy birthday to my son. And I never thought about this. Why is the happy birthday song so sad? <laughs> I never thought about this until I was watching a thing with Trevor Noah. And he talked about it. He was like, you know, when he was a kid, he never heard like the because he grew up in South Africa. So he never heard the happy birthday song. I guess his mother made up the happy birthday song because she had heard the happy birthday song. So it was like, happy birthday, happy birthday. It's like a happy birthday song that they made up, and it was like a really happy song. So then he comes to America. He's in a class. They decide to sing happy birthday to a kid, and it was like, happy birthday. So he started singing happy birthday because he thought that that's just how we all sing happy birthday. So he started singing his happy birthday song, and he was like, and the teacher was like, no, 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 that's wrong. Let, let me show you. And then they all sing happy birthday to you, and it was, Happy birthday to you. And he said it was the most depressing thing he had ever heard. <laughs> and it's just never, I never thought about that. Have you ever thought about that? How 
depressing the happy birthday song is. It actually really something I just never thought about. And those are the kind of things that go through my brain over the course of the week between podcasts. <laughs> but I'm so excited to have you with us today. If you are listening on our church website, just want to let you know that you can also go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever it is that you get your podcast from, and, and you'll be able to, to download and listen to the podcast from the church and uh, just subscribe. And once you're there, once you subscribe, I would also encourage you to rate and you know, let us know what we can do better. Uh, we would love the opportunity as a church to continue to grow in the way that we are able to do our podcasts. But we're in the middle of a series called Politics and Religion, and I just wanted to remind you, uh, A, if you've been listening to this series, or B, if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, we want, we want to let you know that the goal of this series is not to convince you to believe a certain way about a candidate, which candidate to choose or to believe a certain way about which political party to assign yourself to or to believe a certain way about issues. That's not the goal of this series. And, and so we have, we've, we've done our best, or I've done my best to focus on what this series really is about. And it really is about this. As you look at America, you see this growing gap. And, and the reason why is just because of the differences and our political agendas, the way that we see ourselves on, on both sides of those coin, and also the way that we see others on the other side of the coin. But it just, it just seems to be growing. And, and so the goal of this series was just to remind everyone that, if, especially if you call yourself a Christian, that we need to do politics better. We truly do. And, and what could we do differently if we did? What can we do differently if we did? And you know, this last Sunday, we talked about unity and how important unity is. Here's what we said about it and why it's so important. When you go back and if you look at the life of Jesus Christ, specifically if you go to the Gospel of John, John is the fourth book of the New Testament. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The New Testament being the second half of the Bible. If you go to John chapter 17, and then you start to read through that, you'll get to a point where you read the last prayer of Jesus. And really, it's, it's pretty spectacular. But also when you look at it, when you consider the fact of what was about to happen, because shortly after Jesus prays this prayer, he's arrested. He's arrested. And then he's tried, and then he's crucified. And then he goes to the grave, and he's there for three days, and then he rises again. So after this prayer, these things start to run, and they just happen very quickly, very quickly. But before he does that, one of the things that he prays for is for the unity. He prays for the unity of the church. That's the last thing he prays for, which really is a challenge to me, and that was one of the things that I said Sunday. So imagine... It's your final prayer, and you know that it is. Maybe it's your final prayer before you go into surgery, and it's a life-risking surgery. Maybe it's a final prayer before you get ready to quit your job or, you know, whatever it might be. But it's, it's a final prayer before you're about to make some significant change in your life that is going to be to your detriment. What would you pray? 
what would you pray? And again, the, the goal of this is to make you feel guilty. The goal of this is just to realize how amazing Jesus is. Because I'll be, I'll, I'll tell you, I pray for myself. <laughs> if I knew that I was about to be crucified, Lord, strengthen me. Lord, help me. Lord, I'd be, I, I would go through the whole gambit of prayers for myself. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that, there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But what was, what's really amazing is when you look at the heart of Jesus. Because in his very final prayer, he prays for the unity of the disciples. And then after that, he prays for the unity of the church. I mean, that's powerful when you think about that. Because the last thing that you pray for reveals what is most important to you. And in that moment, the most important thing to Jesus was the unity of the body of Christ. So when I say unity of the church, I'm not just talking about encounter, although it is very important for our church to be unified and the cause that Jesus Christ has given us. But I'm talking about church, capital C, worldwide, for every church that is aligned with the Christian faith. That's what he was praying for, for the unity of it. And I just really want to challenge us. This, this was a challenge to me as well. If that is that important to Jesus, that is the last thing that he prays for before he's crucified, then how important should that be to us? And should we make that a part of our prayer lists of whatever it is that we're praying for? We're praying for the unity of the body of Christ. Because I can tell you now, you know, those who would pray for the unity of the body of Christ would also be those that would seek the unity of the body of Christ. Have you ever noticed this when it comes to parenting classes? It tends to be the ones who are on the ball with the parenting classes that go to the parenting classes, right? It seems to be like those who are struggling with parenting don't always show up for those classes. Or let's say for finances. Right? It seems to be the people that really want to be on the ball or someone on the ball financially that show up to those classes. Or maybe you hit a significant crisis financially and now you're ready to go to those classes and really listen to it. But it seems to be a lot of times that people that really need that class aren't the one that's there. Or what about this? You're at church and you hear a message and you think, man, that message really applies to my life, especially when you come to en encounter because all of my messages and all the messages that we preach here apply to your life. <laughs> I can't even say that with a straight face uh, because it sounds like we're tooting our own horn. But we, it is something that we really try to do. Haven't you noticed that when you go to church sometimes and you hear that sermon and it crosses your mind like, oh, man, I wish that so-and-so was here. It, it seems to be, you know, when we need the message, we're not around to hear it. Or those who need to hear the message are not around to hear it. But I think it's important for us to kind of dig into this, that as a church, we make a commitment to really seek unity. And, and why is that? As, as you go back and if you look at that prayer, one of the things that you will see is that it really is central to the success of the church. It, it really is. I think Jesus recognized that, and that's why he prayed for it. He put it this way in John chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. 
I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and I love them even as you have loved me. Wow. Let me read that part again because I think that that really is powerful. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and I love them even as you have loved me. So why is this unity so important? As I talked about on Sunday, and I just wanted to remind us now, the unity of the church is so important because the gospel was vital to Jesus. Matter of fact, isn't that the reason why he came and died and rose again? Well, so that people would hear the good news about him and ultimately it would change their lives. And so Jesus Christ knew that if, if the church doesn't get this unity thing right, then it will damage the message of the gospel. That it will damage the church's ability to be able to demonstrate my love. It will damage that. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, can't, can't, we, can't we see it? Can't we see it in the way that people look at church? Can't we see it in the way that people look at Christianity? And their thoughts of who we are as followers of Jesus? Can't we see it in the massive movement of people that are walking away from church and that have no interest in church whatsoever? And when you ask them about why they have no interest in church, they may not say things like, the body of believers is disunified. <laughs> they, they, they won't say it that way. But you know what they will say? Is they will say, I don't see Jesus. I don't see the love of Jesus in the church. I don't see it. So this idea of unity was so important to Jesus. Again, why? Because he knew that unity would be the way that people would see his love. So church, we got to get this right. We got to get this right. We gotta stop arguing and bickering over things that ultimately do not really matter. We have to, we have to. And oh, I know, I, I know, I know. Our politics are important. They are. And our argument is over our politics because we must protect our political stances. But is it? Like in the grand scheme of things, compared to eternity, is it really that important? And I don't know. I'm not saying it is. I'm not saying it is. I think that that's something that you need to weigh out. But what I am saying is this. Is it as important as the gospel. 
Now, I know some people will say, well, Ken, my politics are connected to the gospel. Maybe. Maybe. And if you're going to claim that, you better make sure. You better make sure. Because your politics, and people might see this, people who are not Christians may see this, that your, po your politics may be connected to the gospel, but your love isn't. So they still don't see the gospel because they still don't see your love. And they still don't see the love of Christ. So, is it? I mean, these are questions that we really need to ask ourselves. And Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, it says this, which I, which I think is really powerful. It says, in this new life, and it's talking about the life of being a believer, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. So basically what, what's happened in this passage is it's written by a guy named Paul. Paul was someone who did not grow up as Christian. <laughs> Matter of fact, early on in his life, what he wanted to do was arrest Christians, and he wanted to kill the movement of Christianity. But he has this incredibly divine encounter with Jesus Christ that changes his life. And ultimately, it's through that change that he follows Jesus. And in following Jesus, he begins to launch churches all across Eastern Europe. And as he builds these churches, eventually he hears about what's going on in their struggles. He begins to send them letters to encourage them. And this is one of those letters. So he says, in this new life, again, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. So literally what, what Paul has done in this passage is he says, dudes, get over yourselves. Your differences should no longer divide you. Your differences should not be a dividing factor for the unity of the body of Christ. Now, why do I say that? Is I say that because here in America, politically, one of the things I think we, we fail to do in Christianity is we fail to look at how can we overcome our differences. As a matter of fact, what we do is we uphold our differences and we even begin to criticize others for their differences because we criticize them because they're like they're not like us. We criticize other churches because they don't worship like us. We criticize other churches because they don't teach like us. We, we criticize other churches because they don't stand like us. We criticize other Christians because they're part of a different political party. The Republicans criticize the Democrats, Democratic Christians and the Democratic Christians they again also derail or they also criticize people that are Republican Christians. And I'll tell you, in my own life, in my own journey, I've been on both sides of the political coin. I really have. When I grew up, I grew up in an African-American community that leaned towards voting democratically. And the reason why is because our experience with African-American community, or in the black community, I should say, our experience had been that it tended to be the Democrats who voted in a direction that gave us our freedom. It tended to be the Democrats who voted to give us the right to vote or who voted to, or who really pushed the Civil Rights uh, Act 
It, it seemed to be the Democrats who really did that. So we just naturally aligned ourselves with that. And so that's what I grew up doing. As a matter of fact, my feelings back then were, if you're part of the Republican Party, it was possible that you were racist. That was just my mindset because that was, that was the way that I was raised. That was, that was part of the, the connection that I had with the Democratic Party. It, it tended to be a black party and help black people. And if you didn't want to help black people, then you were a Republican. That was the way that I, I thought back then. But then what happened was I grew my faith. And I started to, and I'm not saying that those who are Democrats don't grow in their faith. I, I want to make this really clear. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, that that was just my journey. And in my journey, as I became more serious about my faith, I also became serious about what I, what I saw as morality. And with that, I saw that the Republican Party tended to align itself with the morality of the Bible more so than the Democratic Party. So then what happened is I became Republican. I signed myself to, re, the, to the Republican Party. And that's what I did. I, I voted Republican. Um, and so that was kind of my journey. And as a matter of fact, my thought process then became, well, how could you vote for the Democratic Party because they're so immoral? Again, that was just my mindset. I'm not saying it was right. That was just my mindset. But I would say that eventually I went to this point where I started to look at being able to examine both parties. And I didn't just blindly associate myself with one party. I, I think as a kid, I blindly associated myself with the Democratic Party. And I'll be honest, as I grew stronger in my faith, I blindly aligned myself with the Republican Party. But, but now I'm able to kind of stand back. And when I say blindly, here's the thing that we have to be very careful of is we can overlook the failures of our political party because it aligns with our spe a specific part of our faith. So here's one of the questions that we asked on Sunday that I thought was really important for us to kind of walk through, is we asked this question, are you willing to evaluate your politics in light of your faith, or will you continue to formulate a faith that fits your politics? So I, what I've noticed is this, Sometimes as Christians, we can blindly associate ourselves with a specific political party. And, and what do I mean by blindly is I, I say blindly because what we will then do is we will overlook the elements of our political party that contradict our faith. And sometimes what we will do is we will adjust our faith to accommodate for the weaknesses of said political party. And that's when it becomes dangerous. Because then what we do is we begin to lose the voice, our voice. Why? It's easier for us to, to argue our differences. That's why, is because of the fact that we have aligned ourselves with a political party and that political party has become central or core to our faith. Now, many Christians would say that we don't do that, but I think many times it's because we're not being honest with ourselves. I'll be honest with you. I did do that when I was a Democrat, and I did do that when I was a Republican. What am I now? I don't know. Somewhere floating in between, because there are aspects of both parties that I think are good, and there are aspects of both parties that I think need to be addressed.
seriously addressed. I do. So as we start to dig into that, I think it's important for us to begin to step back because I think sometimes what we can do in making that statement or making those statements is that we can begin to, as I've said before, ignore the mandates of the gospel because the mandates of our political party, the mandates of our candidate, the mandates of the issues become more important than the mandate of the gospel. And that's dangerous. It really is dangerous. And I think it's probably one of the most damaging things that we see in Christianity happening today. So again, well, well then how do we change that? How do we change that? And I think Jesus Christ really did give us a secret for unity. And it was in a, it was in a statement that he made to the disciples. In John chapter 13, verse 34, he said, So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So what is Jesus saying? He, he's saying love. Loving one another. I am firmly convinced of this. That if the church loved each other the way that Jesus loves us, we'd be able to move past our differences. I think if you're listening to this, I think you probably would agree. I think you probably would agree. So then here's my challenge to you then and to me. Do I love others the way that Jesus loved me? Wow, that's, that's, that's a powerful question. Do I love others? And if we're talking about the church, do I love Christians the way that Jesus loved me? Take some time out. Really dig into that. And begin to just sit down with pen and paper and just ask yourself one simple question. How did Jesus love me? How does Jesus love me? Well, first of all, we know that he loved you so much that he sacrificed himself for you. He loved you so much that he went to the cross on your behalf so that you can be forgiven of your failures, your faults, your sins. And in sacrificing himself, he basically said, your eternal destiny is far more important than my life. That, my friends, is sacrifice. So that's the question. Does this world see sacrifice in the church? I mean, just think about some of the stances that they've seen in the church recently. Does it see it in the church? I don't know. Think about it. Think about our fight to try to meet and to gather. And again, I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying is the call for that so important that we ignore the needs of those that are around us 
who are facing financial challenges as well, who are facing a lack of being able to connect as well, who are facing. I mean, we can go through and we can see the brokenness of our society, but does it see sacrifice? It's a question that we need to ask ourselves. Also, how did Jesus love us? He said, again, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. He did not come to be served, but to serve others, sorry, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So service. Do we serve each other? Are we so busy focusing on ourselves and the need of ourselves? You know, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about that. He talks about us taking on the very same attitude of Jesus Christ, who being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, Jesus Christ didn't hold on to his title of God. But what he did was he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a slave, of a servant, to be made, to be made in human likeness. That statement alone is powerful. Is are we willing, and also in Philippians 2, it talks about considering others better than ourselves and looking out for the need of others more than ourselves. That's what Jesus did for us when he served us. So again, is that something that the world sees? Is it? And if it isn't, what are we willing to do to change that? What are we willing to do to change that? Does the church really exemplify the serving nature of Christ to this world. Now, I want to make this really clear. I'm not saying that the church doesn't serve the world. I'm not saying that at all. Many of us as Christians, we've gone out, we've served, we've helped in our community. But what I'm talking about is a service act that fully demonstrates love, where, where love is palpable. You know what, I can go out and feed the homeless and not really love them, right? I can serve in so many ways, but not really do it out of a heart of love. So let's make sure we don't get it twisted. Maybe we might be serving, but what's the motive behind it and why we're doing it? That's a question we also have to ask ourselves as well. Does the world see that kind of love flowing through us? So how did Jesus show us love? We see sacrifice, we see service, we also see acceptance. You know, in Romans, you know, Paul tells us, accept one another then just as Christ accepted you. How did Christ accept us? Well, just think about it. He knew your faults. He knew your struggles. He knew your sins. He knew your setbacks. He knew your mindset. He, he knew every aspect of you that struggles, but yet chose to accept you. In him anyway. Except you any flaws and all. Accepted you anyway. Do we do that with one another? Do we do that with one another? Huh. I mean, those are some really powerful things to look at. So we see sacrifice, we see servants, we see again acceptance. And then we also see this appreciation. And when I say appreciation, 
I want to make it really clear that I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about, hey, I appreciate you. That's great. <laughs> we all need to appreciate it. But here's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about appreciation, the opposite of depreciation. Depreciation is what? Is when something loses its value, right? But it's appreciation when something is seen as significant, when something is given value. It's appreciated. And that's what Jesus did for you. When he went to the cross and he died for you, he raised your value. He raised your value. You went from being no one to being a son of the king. You went from being no one to being someone that Jesus Christ loves so significantly that he would die for you. He raised your value, no matter your color, your creed, your sex, he raised your value. And that goes back to what we're talking about in Colossians chapter three, is Christ is in all. Christ raises our value. And so now that becomes a question. Does the world see the church raising their value? Raising their value. And again, we, we, one of the ways that we see this, black lives matter, all lives matter. Do we see it raising value? Do we see it raising value? People that argue on the side of all lives matter. If you call yourself a believer, then what you should also do is look at how am I raising the value of black lives? How am I doing that? And if you're someone who believes in Black Lives Matter, you should also look at how am I making sure that for those that follow All Lives Matter, that I'm raising their value? How am I making sure that they're heard? How am I making sure that they understand that they don't lose their value? How am I doing that? So, I mean, it's, it's, that is just an example there. But how, what, what are we doing? What are we doing to raise the value of others? So now step back and just get this picture of a church that sacrifices, that serves, that accepts, that appraises. Just imagine that and how much that would draw us together. That we could ignore our denominational differences our racial differences, the sex differences, that we can ignore all that to focus on what is the greatest and most important thing. And that is the message of Jesus Christ. And that message should be communicated to this world. So let's set aside our differences and focus on that. Oh man, how beautiful, how beautiful would that be? So let's make a commitment. Let's examine ourselves. Let's examine ourselves. Are we trying to overcome our differences or are we separating from others because of our differences? Are we making a commitment to love the way that Jesus loved or not? Are we really committed to analyzing our politics in light of our faith, or we will, will we cause our faith to fit our politics? 
And these are great questions for us to ask and begin to wrestle through and dig through. And hopefully, we can see a movement happen in the church, a movement of unity. Well, again, I want to take this time out to thank you for being a part of this podcast, for listening. Again, I would always love to hear your thoughts. And so uh, if you want to email us at encountersouthbay at gmail.com and share your thoughts, I would love that. If you want to comment in the comment section, I would love to hear your thoughts so that we can really look at how do we build unity. Here's what I wanted to say is last Sunday we focused on the necessity of unity. And here what we looked at is how can we get to that unity because of understanding the necessity of unity because it really is mission critical for us to get. Here's what we're going to do this Sunday is this Sunday we're going to look at the power of unity. We're going to look at some examples of when people were able to set their differences aside to come together to set on a challenge, to take on a challenge, and to ultimately be able to change this world. We're going to look at that. We're going to look at how we can really make a difference for Christ in that way. So I really do hope that you will be here this Sunday for the live stream, 10.30 a.m. on Facebook as well as on YouTube. I really would love for you to be able to join us for that. Uh, Actually, we kick it off at 10.25. The service starts at 10.30, but we do the announcements at 10.25. So if you're someone that's saying, you know what, I don't know anything that's happening at Encounter, show up at 1025, and then also after the service, we play the announcements again so that you'll be able to hear them. Thank you so much. Hopefully, you'll be able to join us on Sunday. And just to remind you that Encounter is about three things. Love up. Let's make sure that we're growing in our relationship with God. Love out. Let's make sure that we are loving our fellow man and love in. Let's make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. Well, take care. God bless you. Hopefully, we'll see you on Sunday. If not, please join us for the podcast next week. All right, take care. God bless you. Thank you so much for joining us for the Encounter Community Church podcast. Please take a moment to head over to whatever source you're listening to for the podcast to rate and review us. And also, if there are things that we can do well, please feel free to reach out and let us know what those are. If you'd like to continue to support Encounter in our efforts to make a difference in our community, then feel free to head over to our website, encountercommunity.church. Click the link that says online giving and feel free to make a donation that will allow us to be able to make a difference in our community and also to be able to do podcasts and those kind of things such as this. And please subscribe today to our YouTube channel. Make sure you click the little bell for notification. That way when we post new things, you'll be notified of that. Same thing as well on our Facebook page, head over to that and feel free to like us there. That way we post new podcasts, new events, those elements, you will also know about those as well. Well, again, thank you so much. God bless you and have a great day.